Welcome to another episode of Steve's Speed Shop, brought to you by Warranty Wise, the UK's best warranty provider. Get a quote from them today at warrantywise.co.uk. We're brought to you by Mini Sports, specialising in the classic Mini since 1967. And we're brought to you by West Coast Motorcycles. They sell Harley Davidsons, lots of them, and very lovely they are too. Find them on Facebook at West Coast Motorcycles. The DB5 in Dr. No. The Lotus Esprit in the Spy Who Love Me. The Volvo Coupe on the Saint. The Lotus 7 in the Prisoner. The Ford Torino GT in Starsky and Hutch. These cars are imprinted on the imaginations of young men, mainly men, some women, but mainly men, all over the world. They seem to be possibly glamorous and exciting and we wanted to be James Bond, or we wanted to be Starsky, or we need, I don't think too many of us wanted to be the prisoner, because then you'd be a prisoner. But for many of us, we carry the images of these cars round in our heads for longer than we care to admit. My guest this week, Mike Smith, knows more about these cars than anybody I have ever met. Mike, we'll start with a little story, if you don't mind. Yeah, go on. I was filming in London. It's mm. got to be... It's a while ago. It's Top Gear years. Yeah. Hold on a second. I mentioned Top Gear in the first 30 seconds. I normally go at least 20 minutes before I mention it. But So this is 90s, yeah? This is the 90s, Mike. Yes, I'm sure you remember them as I do. They were, it was a good decade. It was. Yeah. I was big in the oh, 90s, Mike. I don't know if you're aware of that. You were what, sorry? Big in the 90s, Mike. <laughs> Somebody calls me that. That's my nickname. Oh, God, I've said that on air now, and now people are going to start calling. Yeah, but I've, big in the 90s. It's a very good friend of mine, and he'll say, Oh, you're big in the 90s. Do you want a drink? Better than big <laughs> like in the 90s, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Uh, we're filming, and we had the cheapest car, the most affordable car, as I'm sure that the uh, retailers would have spoken about it rather than cheap, on sale in Britain. Do you remember the Peridua Nipper? Yeah. Right. Who, do, yeah. who could forget? I think it was a Malaysian-manufactured previous-generation Nissan Micra. Yeah. Um, yeah, Jeremy smashed the Peridua up, didn't he? Oh well, it's yeah. A lot of that's just public schoolboys like laughing at poor people. I'm not. I'm not that. <laughs> well, it is, isn't it? I mean, I was with one of my mates yesterday, and he's he's a much bigger public. He went to a much better public school than they did, yeah. and and he drives a, just around the estate and into the village. This completely knackered old French car with the lack appeal on it is absolutely. Astonishing! You just think if they'd have said to people, "Oh, by the way, by the way, down the road, it's going to look like it's been blasted by the breath of Satan," <laughs> like that. I don't know if people would have been so keen to buy it, but he didn't care. I think he bought it for eighty pounds or something stupid from the scrapyard, and he'd just been dry. He was using it to he was using it to drag the bucket of a bulldozer. He just got a massive strap around the back of it. But every, everyone's got to have a few scrappers about, haven't they? Part of the fun. I, I don't know. It's funny when you turn up. In a in a very cheap old car, which you've bought for not necessarily the sort of reasons that I'm going to say regular people, and I do, I do think there is a difference between car people and regular people. I mean, I'll give you an example, and I'll get back to the story in a second. 
I turned up at BAC Mono. Neil Briggs from BAC was the was my guest last week. He was a great guest. Yeah, you 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 laughed at you, the bar's pretty high here, Mike. Right, but I know that you're I know that you're capable. Anyway, of coming up to the challenge, um, and. I went over there to their factory in Liverpool where they make that incredible single-seater car which annihilates all the million-dollar, million-euro, million-pound-plus hypercars on the lap times to top gear. It's the fastest street car that's ever gone up the hill at at Goodwood at the FOS, I'm pretty sure about that. And I went over there in a Citroen AX of, it must have been at least 15 or 16 years old, which I had bought because... I sold a 1952 rally bicycle to a man in Wimbledon. And I ended up, he said to me, well, he said, it's going to cost me £100 to get it delivered. And I was like, I'll bring it down for that. So I drove it down and I bought off eBay this uh, Citroen AX for 80 quid which I drove back to Manchester, thinking that I'd just scrap it when I got back, because it was cheaper than yeah. the train ticket. There was some kid on the internet, and he was on the internet, and he was on the BBC, and he was saying, oh, this guy buys cheap cars instead of train tickets. And I thought, I've been doing that since he was, before he was yeah. born. Yeah. I once bought a Peugeot 205 Junior for 40 quid, because I had to go and collect a Mercedes from Southampton, and it was cheaper than the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> so I just drove it down. I said, well, what did you do with the car? So I left it in Tesco's car park. <laughs> got, a bit of a beef, though, got a bit of a beef with Tesco, but let, let's not get into that. And the guys at BAC were all over that Citroen. They're going, oh, yeah, this is quite a clever little design because they saved a lot of weight with plastic. You know, and we started talking about the difference between carbon fibre and plastic and essentially there isn't a difference between carbon fibre and plastic carbon fibre is a plastic it's just a posh plastic and an expensive plastic but if you say yeah it's just well it's just the way it's just the description it's just the word isn't it Mm. you know if you if you you like italian cars and we'll get on to that in a second then you soon realize that the exact same parts for your maserati or ferrari or di tomaso almost certainly appeared on a fiat if it's a switch or a door handle or a you know a handbrake cable or something like that it was on a fiat now if you like you can buy that part with the maserati name next to the part number or you can pay a third of the price and buy exactly the same thing yeah, <laughs> exactly the well, same thing cars you can do that with them like astons you can buy um hunt a bit so Leyland bits or Jaguar bits. Well, what about Lotus? Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they made the chassis. and, they, oh, and, and, and cars, Yeah, and sometimes they made the engine. So, anyway, this story. We must get back to the story, Mike. Oh. The Peridune Nipper. I thought it might be... Because I was... Back in the day, they, they, they were clever. John Bentley, who was a producer of Top Gear, was the guy yeah, with the gadget show. Well, he, yeah, everybody says, oh, yeah, John Bentley. And I say, yeah, but... John was our boss before he ever appeared on television. Yeah. For years, he was our boss. Yeah, and he was I, even like Sue Baker's boss. And exactly. And I've, Mullard, never... Yeah, back in the day, before me, that far, yeah. that long ago. Yeah, 80s. And for those of us who worked for him, to see him on television presenting an item, I, I said to Tiff Nidell, I said, it's like you're in the kitchen and all of a sudden the dog started talking to you. I mean, it's, you know the dog, the dog's your friend, the dog's a friendly presence, but it's just weird that it suddenly displays this skill. And that was the same with John. My 
My phone rang us. I was just watching the gadget show, and there he was. Hello, I'm John Bentley. And we were like, what the hell is going on? John's on TV. But John understood how to get the best out of everyone. And, and basically, he had a room full of mainly men, competitive alpha male types. And he got us to compete with each other, which was clever. So we were always trying to top each other, which was probably why the show was popular. So I thought, wouldn't it be funny if I was in the most expensive postcode in Britain with the cheapest car? So we were filming in Mayfair. And on this street where we had permission to film, I believe I was told, oh, yeah, Madonna's house is there. That's Lord Mandelson, blah, blah, blah. You know, it was... Hollywood Road area. Yeah, it was names, 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 darling. You know, it was that sort of thing. But I was going to come down the steps of this. We we got permission to use the steps, Mm. but not to go into the property. And we we weren't allowed... We'd been told, I looked at the call sheet, and it said, you must not knock on the door or ring the doorbell, all this sort of (laughs) stuff, you know. So I thought, right, okay, we don't... It was just somebody who was associated with the BBC. I like to think it was Sir David Attenborough, but it probably wasn't. So I'd come down the steps and say, if you lived in this house and you paid a standard British mortgage, then, you know, the value of this car... <laughs> it was kind of... You, you could, you could, to live in this house for days would have cost you what it, co- what it would cost you to buy the cheapest car in Britain. So we started filming, and as you know only too well, and we'll get onto that in just a sec, you end up doing the same thing over and over again. Everybody thinks it's dead cool. Oh, yeah, you get to drive around in Aston Martins and Lotuses and supercars and ride superbikes. And you go, yeah, generally what you get to do is go out of range of the camera, come back. Go out of the range of the camera, come back. Wait at the end of a lane with a walkie-talkie until the director gives you your cue, which can be, as you know, an hour, two hours. Sometimes it's a day. Until yeah. you get your cue. And you're just there waiting. So the third or fourth time that I'd backed into this driveway and used it to turn the car around, a, f- a car came screeching up and two guys jumped out. They didn't look... They weren't like meatheads. They were kind of the sort of guys, those flinty-eyed men that you see on those programmes where the SAS shouts at celebrities. They looked like those guys, wiry guys. Oh. And one of them said, what do you think you're up to? We were like... And the director started to explain what we're doing. He said, we know who you are. We know we know it's Top Gear. We know. But why are you using the American ambassador's official residence to turn the car in? The first time you did it, the CIA got twitchy. The third time you did it, I had to restrain one of them. He was going to put a gun in your face and point it at me, and I was like, I'm really sorry. They said, it's all right, lads. Just just don't go in there again. And off they went. And do you know what car they were in, Mike? Oh, let me think back then. Uh... Well, no, here's my point. They were in a dark grey Ford Mondeo with one hubcap missing. What they weren't in was a Lotus 7, an Aston Martin, or a Ferrari. Because it was real life. And so I ask you, Mike Smith, why in British films and TV of the 1960s did secret agents... I'm doing that in inverted commas, I'm doing air commas. Why did they always drive a really, really obvious car? Even as a kid, I could see that wasn't a great idea. They didn't all drive a really obvious car, did they? Oh. Because you had the anti-heroes, didn't you? Like Man in a Suitcase, you drove a Hillman Imp. Man in a Suitcase? Yeah, Richard Bradford. Um, You also had Harry Palmer, uh, Michael Caine. uh, Yeah, I love that bit in the Ipcrest file 
where he gets in his Ford Cortina mm-hmm. and goes from Heathrow to a Clark shoe shop, and we both know why, don't we? Tell me again. Oh, come on, Mike! Coming up the Clark Shoe Shop. Right, when you might, I think you might be a bit younger than me. Um, I'm I'm mid fifties. I'm saying mid fifties yeah, now because I've, I've got a big birthday coming. But when I was a kid, um, if you were sort of, unless you were dragged up, and we were sort of lower middle class types. I went to the grammar school, but we lived in a terraced house. You know, yeah. we sort of, you know, we spent a lot of time in the library trying to better ourselves, if you will. So, um, my mother was a firm believer in buying quality and making it last. So we oh, always. Yeah. We always I, I had... remember all that. I remember going and getting Clark's shoes. Clark's shoes. Yeah, but what happened when you went to get Clark's shoes? They x-rayed your feet. Yeah. Do you not remember that of machine? Course. Yeah. You yeah. put your... As a kid, it was the greatest thing, because it was yeah. like, yay, we get to put our feet in the machine, yeah. which may or may not give us radiation poisoning. Because <laughs> yeah. basically, they just thought, this is great. It was a great gimmick. You put And in the Ipcrest file, he jumps in the Cortina at Heathrow, because yeah. he's given a flask and he wants to know what's inside it. That's right, with the exit. Oh, Mike, plot spoiler! <laughs> Are you sure that's not... Is that definitely a Crest file? No. Billion Dollar Brain? No, it's Billion Dollar Brain. Yeah. About halfway through that halfway through that story, I realised it was Billion Dollar Brain because he's flying to the icy wastes yeah. when he's given the... He was given. He's given the flask, but he bombs to a Clark shoe shop in Shepherd's Bush. Yeah, and he goes in and he and he X-rays the flask and sees what's inside it. And I and I, and I always remember like that he did drive a Ford Cortina when he pulls up outside the Admiralty, and he just drives. He just goes outside, gets in it, drives to just off Trafalgar Square, isn't it? Mm. And just parks, <laughs> goes into the building, and you think, you think. In a way, you think the past was better because you could do that, but the past was a place where lots of people didn't have a motor car because they couldn't afford it, and that's why it was so easy to drive around and park. So do you want to go back to a time... We didn't have a car till I was 9 or 10 years old. Well, funnily enough, I'm the youngest of seven, and I was the first one for us to have the car. Because you know, uh, people say, well, well, how did you get about? And I say, well, we, we kind of didn't. My, my granddad would take us. My granddad was... My mum and dad were like... They're, I don't really like talking about my mum and dad. We're British. They, I think they find all this a bit awkward, but it, it, it explains things, so I'm going to say it. My mum and dad were kind of like a, a 1960s kitchen sink drama, the sort of thing you might have seen Albert Finney playing my dad. And my dad looked like Albert Finney. He actually appeared in a movie. He doubled for Montgomery Clift. Yeah? Yeah, in a, in a film that was shot... Some of it was shot here in Manchester, but mm. the stuff that was shot, like so many movies, as again you'll come, you'll come to, I'm sure, the stuff that was shot in Manchester was meant to be Philadelphia or somewhere like mm. that. Yeah, they, they used the Midland Hotel in Manchester, and I think they used various other buildings. And... and the Montgomery Cliff character. I said, what did you have to do, Dad? And he said, again, you all know all about this. He said, I had to get in and out of cars and walk in and out of buildings. Yeah. <laughs> Didn't sound particularly glamorous. Yeah. Hey, you know um, that Peridou and Nipper road test you did? I've, here's the thing. It's so long ago now that I mentioned... I mean, I, I do tend to go off a tangent. I hope they're interesting tangents, but... Um, it's so long since I mentioned that, I've, I've, I've forgotten why. Oh, yeah, it was because my point, the point I was making was, in real life, 
the yeah, spooks, like, like, the secret like, agents, military some, intelligence. Some do and some don't. I mean, I think I think it depends on who it is. I mean, the daft thing is, is when Bomb walks into any hotel in the world, isn't it? And says, <laughs> and they go, oh, Mr. Bond, you know, you're here again, are you? <laughs> and, you know, the, the, the only way you'd sort of get away with that is his cover, isn't it? You know, uh, as a sort of travelling salesman. Travelling salesman. For universal export. Yeah, but you'd still use a name... You'd still use a name that wasn't your actual real given name. You'd do that thing, wouldn't you? I remember. I'm trying to. I'm I'm trying to think of the first the first film I saw where the protagonist went to a churchyard and got the name of uh, somebody somebody roughly the same age who died died as an infant, like just only lived a couple of years. And then you'd go and get a birth certificate. I'm trying to think of the, the movie. I've seen it in so many it's films. It's different things. I mean, it's in uh, The Persuaders. It's one of the plots in there. What? So, go on. What did Uncle stand for? Go on, Mike Smith. Oh, Uncle. Yeah. Do you know, yeah, this, this will amaze you. I've never watched a full episode of The Man from Uncle. I don't think I have. I think I, I, think, I think I love the title. The, the title sequence, and I liked, um, what was he called, the actor? who, who Robert um, Vaughan. Robert Vaughan. I, I get him mixed and up David with... David McCallum. I get him mix, mixed up with Robert Wagner, who was, of course, heart-to-heart heart with, yeah. with the two Mercedes SLs. And, and I think when I saw... When I saw the opening titles of Heart to Heart and Robert Wagner and Stephanie Powers, like, yeah. kiss the fronts of the two Mercedes SLs. I think it was the first time that I was aware that there were women's cars. There, <laughs> there were cars... It, it wasn't too much, though, was it? Was it not it two was, SLs? It was in a Dino in the first one. Because um, it was a feature length, the first one, the pilot. And he's in a he's in a Dino, she's in the SL. Mike, when I when I talk about thing, these things with you, I get the feeling that I bought a pea shooter to the Howitzer party. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that did go on to have some great cars. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Because some of the best films and TV series um, had rubbish car content or the car wasn't particularly great. And yet some absolute mediocre garbage like The Baron had the coolest car because he had a Jensen CV8. But what about, here's, here's a rubbish car for you, but quite a good show. This is the worst car that a hero could have. In The Chinese Detective with David Yip, he had a Morris Minor traveller. A pal of mine did that thing that I a lot of us have done. I did it with a, a Lambretta. Mm. Um, he, he got a hankering for a Morris Minor traveller because I think it was the first car he'd ever had. Mm. And the one that he'd had was clapped out and he'd just about been able to keep the thing mm. moving. You know, it was one of those cars where it's got no reverse, so you have to take mates with you in case they have to yeah. push it. And, you know, all like like I had an Alpha when I was a, a much younger man and I had to park it on hills because the starter motor was knackered. Yeah. And because of the right-hand oh, drive... Yeah. Well, because of the right-hand drive conversion, you couldn't get at the starter motor. So for yeah. six months, I just parked on inclines. I just, Which, if you're in Lancashire, isn't that difficult, is it? You know, it's like no. if I've been... If I might, my name had been Steve Van Berry and I've been in Harlem or, or something, 
something like that. I would have been absolutely knackered. It would have been, excuse me, could you... <laughs> but, in, but in Dutch, rather, obviously. That wasn't a very good joke, but, but never mind. But you're right. It's Some of the programmes that were that were, uh, weren't that good had great cars. And some shows that were great, like The Saint with Roger Moore, had a slightly rubbish car, that Volvo. Why didn't he have it? <laughs> well, Mike, why didn't he have an E-Type? Come on. He was, but remember, he never wanted an E-Type. I told he, you this, haven't I? He's Simon Templer. Why he hasn't he got... Ten. Why hasn't he got... He's meant to be an international playboy, and he's driving round in a two-door coupe with a bus engine in it. Yeah. Could have been driving a Jag. What went on it there? It was a very stylish-looking car, though, wasn't it? Yeah. The, I must admit, that P1800 Volvo that, that Roger Moore drove in the Saints was a great-looking car. But when you drive one... That's the, an example of that. It's the highest mileage car in the world, isn't it? Yeah, three million miles. Three million, three million miles plus that American guy, didn't it? And you know what? They can't have been very exciting because I've driven a couple of them. I, I've got two scimitars. I've got a 69 scimitar and a 76 scimitar. I've got oh, this yeah. SE5. Everybody thinks it's an SE5A. It's not. It's a very early car. Yeah. It's a 69. And I've got... And I've got an SE6, which I'm not as keen on. I, I don't think it's as pretty, but it's a better car to drive. Funny, I like the later one with the big wheels. Really? Yeah. And I like it, the Wolf Race wheels. Well, mine's got alley cats. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because that was, that was one of the options. Yeah. But uh, it's two-tone as well. How cool is that? Do you like a two-tone car, Mike? Sometimes. <laughs> it depends on the car. <laughs> it depends if... The bit that's the bit that's the darker colour is there out of necessity because you're trying to hide stuff. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> if it's too tall because you want it to look saucy, great. Oh, yeah. But if it's too tall to hide all the bog and all the rust and all the horrors, then I had a big row with someone about a brand new car that was two tone once. And do you know who it was? No, hold on a second. Go this on. is this is Big in story. Remind me about Jeremy Beadle and the two tone Lexus. Jeremy Beadle and the Tootle. That do you know what? That sounds like that sounds like a follow up to the Harry Potter series. Harry <laughs> it's, Potter it's, and it's the a great story though. Right. It's got a really funny end. So we must explain because uh, Speed Shop is uh, goes out internationally. Hello to everyone who listens to it, particularly in the states, Canada, the English speaking world, but also in places like uh, France, quite popular, and, uh, oh, and, and Japan. Anyway, um, Jeremy Beadle was a very interesting guy. For a lot of people, Jeremy Beadle was like a, a Mister Saturday Night. He hosted oh, prime yeah. time. Primetime commercial TV, uh, light entertainment television for, for a long time, and he was very popular. What people didn't realise was that in a past life he was a sort of hippie activist entrepreneur. Did you know that Jeremy Beadle was one of the people who put on the Isle of Wight Pop Festival with Jimi yeah. Hendrix and The Who and all that? Well, yeah, but you would. But I, I know a lot of, to a lot of people when I've said that, and they check and they think, I thought you, I thought that was a gag. I thought you were kidding me. And yeah. I looked, and there was Jeremy Beadle in a caftan introducing The Who at the Isle of Wight Festival. Yeah, he, he was like, he was a bit like Richard Branson in the early days. I mean, he was sort of real, sort of behind the scenes, but musical and um, TV and everything. And for some reason, he decided that he absolutely had to have a Lexus, but not just any Lexus, a two-tone Lexus. Well, he didn't choose a two-tone. Right, <laughs> go on, Mike. What happened? What happened? 
Um, he was filming at Granada. He's no longer with us. You can tell the truth, though, Mike. Yeah, no, honestly, I can tell you now, because a lot of people didn't like him because of, he did all the practical joke shows, right? But I'll tell you now, he was the nicest guy ever. Hey, do you know how much? Do you know how much charity work that guy did oh, behind the scenes? Unbelievable. That, yeah, unbelievable. He, he never was, stopped. Right. So as far as we're concerned, if people didn't like him on the telly, he was in real life an absolute diamond geezer. He's superb. Yeah. I mean, as far as they didn't, what they didn't like was the fact he was, you know, making fun of people. But they really checked people carefully and um, they'd spend hours going around scrappers trying to find late model cars that had been crashed to rebuild them so they could make it look like this crashed someone's car. Yeah. Or crushed it or something. <laughs> and then they'd wheel out the real car after they'd done the joke. But... Anyhow, so Beadle, to, Beadle comes in um, when I was sales manager at Toyota Lexus in Manchester in Salford Keys. And um, I, he had a Rover 827 Sterling. And uh, <laughs> I, Hey, we had, uh, we had James Walsh on uh, the oh other yeah. week. And James... And it, James told the story, and it was a great story. All the speed shops are available. The best place to listen to them, uh, all shows, is on Anchor FM. Just put Anchor FM, Steve Speed Shop, all the all the previous shows. There's some great shows if you've missed any. And the one with James, he told a story about how the Rover Sterling was sold as the Sterling. Oh, yeah, in America. And Steed advertised it. And Steed advertised it, yeah. And, and James... Guess, guess what James did? He, this is how bad... When you talk to James, he was a BBC radio producer. He now works for Practical... I met him when we worked in radio together. He was my producer at BBC Manchester. Oh, yeah. um, and then he went to Practical Classics. We stayed friends. We both own Citroen CXs and have a passion for hydro-dumatically suspended yeah. French cars, as well as many other things. Uh, James not only bought a Rover Sterling in America, he brought it back to the UK. How <laughs> crazy is that? Nobody wanted them when they were new, never mind 20 years old. Well, that's a great thing to do, isn't it? Because then at least there's one back here to preserve. Only one. Yeah, so I Jeremy Beadle... I used to use them in my like, late teens as company cars, Sterling. Yeah, they were, I, I remember I went to right. pick up... We, we must get back to Jeremy Beadle yeah. in just a second. I wonder how many people have, have, have previously said that. But... Um, I must tell you a, a Rover Sterling story. I, as a, a young freelance journalist pre-sort of TV years, I actually, you know, was a working freelance journalist and a reasonably successful. And I was doing a story for Stern, the German news oh. um, magazine. Very big deal in Germany. Not that well known. I think they, be, they came to most British people's attention when they, when they bought the Hitler Diaries, which turned out to have been written by some bloke. <laughs> In his garden shed. <laughs> yeah, anyway. Um, the two journalists came over to do a, a piece about the music scene in Manchester, and I'd set the whole thing up, and we were going to interview people and all this sort of stuff. And, and the guy on the phone said, please hire a, a hire car of a medium, medium price, <laughs> like this on the phone. So I thought, I went, and I thought, I could make a bit of money on this. Like this, because you know, it's a struggling freelance journalist. And I thought, I'll see if I can do a deal. So I said, I need like a medium price car. And the bloke more or less said, You can have that Rover for the price of the of the Mini or <laughs> whatever. <laughs> so I turned up in this Rover Sterling, and the guy went, What is this car? 
<laughs> well, we were driving around in it, and he was saying, Steve, why have I never seen this car in Germany? Why are they? And I said, because they're not very good. <laughs> but, but it was okay. It got us around, and, you know, nobody knew them. It wasn't, it wasn't a big deal. So Jeremy Beadle comes in, and he wants to park his Rover Sterling uh, yeah. against a Lexus. Yeah, so Beadle comes in. I end up selling him a Lexus, right? So this is when Lexus... Is absolutely brand spanking new. You know, only one model, the LS400. What a great car, by the way. Oh, just unbelievable. I mean, it was, it was the greatest thing for a 19-year-old kid to be selling because um, the recession was on, so I was taking all the best Partexes in the world, you know, like Bentleys, Ferraris, Porsches. No. Can we just say, uh, and I'm going to butt in again because it is important, if you, if you find a good LS400, buy it. You will be able to buy it for next to nothing, and they will be in the future. People will say that was a landmark car. That was oh, a, that was an important car. And right now, twenty twenty, they are at the absolute bottom of, yeah, of price are. because the ones that are out there now, they'll sort out the wheat from the chaff. Yeah, um, idiots like we were twenty five, thirty years ago will ruin. Will buy one cheap, ruin it, and they'll get scrapped. Oh, and well, then people are angering them. Oh, my God. <laughs> People are bangerating them. I'm, and they're taking those four litre V8s out and putting them in all sorts of Yeah, things, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, it, it, um, do, you know what, do you know what's happening to that car? Exactly what happened to Rover P5s. Yeah. It's being bangered. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The modern hot rodder, if you will, is using the engine to put in a smaller, lighter car to make it go faster. Yeah. Exactly the same thing's happening to that executive prestige car bought by celebrities um, and now available to you off of uh, Facebook Marketplace for five mm. or 600 quid. I mean, the only thing I would say, in the last five years, the very first cars, like the 1990 cars, they have sort of gone up from being like 500 quid to a grand to five grand. Yeah. You know, pe- people are starting to... Suffer. There's a really brief window of opportunity with cars like that isn't there Mike mm. you, you, you see it if you're as if you're as ridiculously um, interested in this to the point of damaging your personal relationships finances and health particularly financial health you notice cars that get to the bottom I'll tell you what's at the bottom right now MGTF oh, yeah. and by the way well and the, and the Rover 75 and the MG oh yeah and, and I'll tell you by the way that MGTF what a cracking little car. Oh, my God, what a great car. You can get one for three or £400. Yeah, I know. I'm going to make you go back onto Beadle, though. I'm doing the Beadle story, right? You ready? I'm ready. <laughs> right, so Beadle comes in. I deal him on the car. He orders a black one, right? We didn't have a black one, because in those days, you literally had one car in the showroom, um, and the two demos was the chairman and the deputy chairman, so it was a bit of a faff getting older ones to do a demo in. But as soon as you demoed one, you, you couldn't fail to sell them. Anyway, it transpires he lived in Highgate in London. Mm-hmm. We were in Manchester. So I went to see him at Granada, and it was brilliant. I, you know, I got to meet old Richard and Judy. And we should, hold on. That. We should say... When Mike says Granada, it doesn't mean the province of Spain. He no, means he means Gran- Granada Television here, here in here in Manchester. <laughs> but it was cool because all the TV people were there and the Coronation Street there yeah. and all that. And, yeah. and I used to do loads of people from Granada. Anyway, so it's arranged. Um, I'll deliver the car down to London, right? Cool. 
and I, and I would deliberately do that. I used to enjoy something rather than being in work. Mike, what's the point? Right, when you grow up and you want to be around cars and nice cars and you want to drive them, you try and... F- I, I finagled my way into journalism so I could blag cars that I... You know, some people end up selling them, people work on them. You, you know, there's a reason. You don't just want to... You don't just want to never touch the things or drive the things. Plus, I would want to see what Jeremy Beadle's kitchen's like. Yeah. I'd want to sit there having a... Sit there at his kitchen table having a chocolate digestive and a cup of Earl Grey and, uh, you know, asking him about... Uh, well, I was going to say something lively, said we should probably move on. So you took the car. So, so, so not only did I take the car, I took my missus. <laughs> Mike, you, you might have been pushing it, taking your missus yeah. as well, but go on. So I thought, well, this is great, you know, we're going to have a day in London. So I went the night before, um, parked, parked the car and then went to his in the morning. Now, but what, what was arranged was there was a new garage called Jemka, who were still there on the edge of our road. And what the what the what were they arranged with this uh, garage, which the Jemka bit sounded for something like Japanese something something motor place, right? And what they said was, because you've driven the car down there, we want him to get it nice and clean. Go into Jemka and they'll clean it for you. Right. Right? Uh, and then go to his house in Highgate, which is up the road. That is a quality service, Mike. So that's pretty good, isn't it, right? Yeah. Except I get to Jemka, and I'm absolutely convinced this is because I played so many practical jokes in my life. <laughs> I was absolutely convinced they'd done something for the car. So I'm watching in this then-posh showroom in London through the window. I'm not taking my eyes off the car. Angie's going, oh, don't be stupid. They're not going to do anything, right? And I'm watching it, and I'm thinking, have they put funny paint on this car? You know, what is it? And and when Lexus came out, they had, like, the bottom bit was, like, um, a sort of dark grey-brown colour, and it was plastic, and then you had the paintwork of the car. Right. So every single car was the same. Yeah. And you couldn't get any options. Everything was standard. They were 35 grand. That was it. You couldn't have anything. And... If it was black, it came with one interior. You know, there wasn't like the bespoke choice. You got one older in a BMW or something. What was it? Was it that tan ruched leather? Yeah, when it first came out, it was the tan ruched leather. So, um, so I'm being really careful. Anyway, I get the car and I'm like checking the bloody paint and seeing if it's not going to come out or anything. And off we go to Highgate. When we got to Highgate, it was like a funny road where we lived. It didn't seem nice enough. Um, you know, some London houses are deceptively big. Mike, that's because we're northerners. We get there and we think, he's a celebrity, so he must live in a house that's, yeah. that's worth millions and millions of pounds. Yeah. And here's the reality. That big terraced house in Highgate is worth millions yeah. and millions of pounds. It's just that up here, you could buy it for a quarter of a million. Yeah, Down definitely. there, you can quadruple it or but, even more. And, and it was like, on the road, there was no none of these houses had anywhere to park until we came to his, and then there was his drive with his ah, Rover 800. Right. So I pulled on. So I'm still suspicious at this point. Right? Yeah. And he comes out and everything. And he goes, well, what's that? <laughs> I said, what do you mean? He said, well, that's not the car I ordered. I ordered a black car. And that's not a black car. That's a black and a two-tone grey car. I didn't order that bit at the bottom. And I thought he was having a good... I thought he was a joke. 
So I went, yeah, yeah, it was funny. Come on, let's do the paintwork. <laughs> and he was absolutely going mental about this paintwork. And I was totally ignoring it. Mike, so basically, what what are they? Like sill protectors? And, and, the, and Yeah, the... just like the bomb bit of the door. It just had like this plastic protection and they were all the same. Yeah. So I left him going bananas. And I was like going in the house. Did he take delivery of the car? Well, so... He comes in. Oh, here we go. He says, I don't think you're taking this very seriously. And I said, are you not joking, then? Yeah, because here's the thing. If, like him, you have a reputation of being the biggest practical joker in Britain, apart perhaps from Steve Parrish, the motorcycle and truck racer, but let's not get into that. Oh, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about Stavros. We'll get him on the show, because he's a super interesting guy. But um, when you've got, like him, that reputation, every day... Must be you, like that. Yeah, it must be people like you going, right, where's the hidden camera? Yeah, What's well, going on? <laughs> that's what I thought he was doing. So he says, no, I'm very annoyed and started swearing and everything. I said, well, look, right. I said, Jeremy, I said, you've two choices. I said, that's all you can have, right? We don't offer anything else. If you want to have the bits that are grey, painted, black, you can. But can I just suggest you try driving around in the car for about two or three weeks? And if you still feel like this in three weeks' time, we'll sort out getting it painted for you. How's that? And he said, yeah, all right. So he thought that was a good idea. Anyway, we went in, and then we had a really lovely time with him, and he found out I knew a lot about cars, and he started pulling books out. Because, you know, he used to do loads of quizzes. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he wanted me to go on you bet and identify cars from, like, about a centimetre of a picture of them. And Hold on. The door handle. Mike, do you remember that guy on, on you bet who could tell what an engine was just from here in a... Like, he could... He, he didn't just know it was a V8. He knew he knew oh, which no, make of V8. I, I could have done that. And, and, and the one thing I couldn't have done was the guy who did the door shutting. Oh, no! Go on. I got, they, they bet on... The guy said he could tell you which mark of car it was. He could tell you the model of car from the Oh, door. no. No. And um, that was... That's one. sad. Yeah, it, well, well, so, what, so what happened was, he was desperate for me to go on, because his mate was Matthew Kelly from Going For A Lap. Who's from this part of the world? Yeah. And I said, Manchester. he's older, isn't he, Matthew Kelly? Yeah. And uh, and I said, uh, I said no, because I look an idiot. I said, what do you mean? He said, you'll look amazing. I said, no, I won't. I said, I look like a right geek. I said, I'm not going on. Like, you know, identifying these cars from nothing. So, so anyway, we had a great time, and he gave us loads of books. And he liked the fact that I could remember TV shows he did before he was famous, like The Deceivers and stuff like that. Did so he start as, did, he, did he do some acting? No, he wasn't acting. It was, um... He, he, um, when they were doing some of the programmes that he'd come up with the format for, he ended up presenting them because they couldn't find a presenter. Right. That's how he ended up on Game for a Laugh. Yeah, because he, he thought of the idea and, and they yeah. couldn't find anybody who said, sod it, I'll do yeah. So let me guess, yeah. So he never called you back. Uh, two or three weeks later, he decided the car looked great as it was. Well, that, that that's true, right? right? He, he decided the car looked great as it was, but that's not the funny story, right? So we, we sell him this car. And he's all right. And I get on with him, you know, and I, you know, I was a friend of his until he passed away in 2008. He was well, brilliant, right? That's but great. What happened was he was obviously getting the car serviced in London at this Jemka, right? 
Right. And we, normally, for a loan car, you wouldn't give out another Lexus. You'd, you know, just give him a Toyota or pick it up or whatever. But because it was him, the guy who was MD at the time of this Jemka um, was happy for Jeremy to have his Lexus company car. Right? Right. So Jeremy had this courtesy car. And the car was in on a Friday. And Beadle got delayed on the Friday night and rang up the garage and said, I can't get back. But tell Mr. Yoshimoto, or whatever he was called, right, you can use my car. Right? You know, I don't mind. Okay. Use mine because I've got yours. And, yeah. You know, we'll swap back on Monday. So, you know, typical nice of Beadle to say, use my car. Anyway, Saturday night comes, Beetle gets pulled out of his bed at three o'clock in the morning by the police. Because <laughs> Mr. Yaki, whatever. Yeah, but hold on. Window. Mike, I could. Oh, straight through a laundrette window. I was going to say, I, c- I can see the problem. Jeremy Beadle has a knock on his door at three o'clock in the morning, yeah. and, and the guy says, It's the police open up. And he thinks, Right, who is this? Which, which, one, which one of the people who I have stitched up over the last 10 years on Saturday Night Television is now extracting their revenge? <laughs> who was it? Which one of it is? And it, no, it is actually the real yeah. police because that guy had put Jeremy's car, what did you say, through a laundrette window yeah, at 3 o'clock in the window, morning? But, of course, the police thought it was Beadle because it was Beadle's car. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had to get the paperwork and answer and, a lot of questions. And the bloke I have to say, I I liked Jeremy Beadle. I thought he was a, a, a vuncular presence. He was sort of he had he had impish qualities as 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 a TV presenter, but he made an extremely unconvincing policeman when he was pretending <laughs> to be a policeman. Yeah, but they never fussed, did they? For ages. Yeah, but he was a slightly built man. With he wasn't he wasn't at all athletic. He was tubby around the middle, and he had. Because it was, I don't know why. Because it was, the, was it the eighties? He had shoulder-length permed hair, which I, d- I don't think any police force well, in the United Kingdom would have allowed at that time. And he always, he always wore to disguise himself as well, large sunglasses. Now I've, <laughs> I, I've never been approached by a bobby wearing a great big pair of sunglasses with shoulder legs but but as you say it may have happened and they might not have used the footage most people who are being stitched up seem to think oh yes this is a policeman rather than hold on aren't you rather obviously the very famous distraction steve jeremy beadle it's all about distraction when did you first appear in a film or a tv show mike oh because it because it's all car related the stuff that you tell us about life on mars and ashes to ashes what you did there Oh, God, funnily enough, they're, they're thinking of remaking that. Are they yeah. not? Well, hold on, when you say... Re- oh, do you... In the States... Oh, I mean, a new series. Oh, a new series. Now, we should explain that this TV... Um, these two TV series um, had a cop who wakes up from some sort of... He's, he's got some sort of head injury. Well, he's knocked down. Yeah, and he, he, he's knocked down, and all of a sudden, he's he's himself, but he's back 20 years or 30 years. Well, it's ni- 1973 from 2006. Yeah, but here's the thing. When people criticise the details and say, oh, this isn't accurate, and that, that, that facelifted model didn't come out till 12 months later, I say, no, no, no. The premise of the show is that this is happening in somebody's imagination. So guess what? People's imagination aren't exactly precisely correct. So they almost had to get out of jail free card, didn't they? They could sort say, of. this it's is all happening. Sort of, but 
yeah. but it is down to production laziness. And it featured um, principally in the first series in Life on Mars uh, for Granada. No, no, it was a Ford Cortina 2000D, a 1974 one, that they fitted a GXL grill to and put fake K plates on. Damn, those TV people for hybridising two similar-sized Ford saloons of the same period yeah. and fooling people. But famously, in the in the one set in the 80s, which followed up, fire up the Quattro. Yeah. And I was talking last night to the guy who has just sold that car. Oh, now, hang on. Who were you talking to? Because there's two. Rob Atkinson. Rob Atkinson, RA Classics, who's been a guest, an excellent guest on this show. And uh, I mentioned that I was going to be talking to you, and he said, oh, I've just sold the Quattro. What, one of the ones from the show, or just a Right, well, okay, here's the thing, Mike, and this perfectly illustrates why I wanted you to come on. Mm. We, we, the the public who who watch these programmes, don't realise that there's never one car. Sometimes there's two, sometimes there's four, sometimes there's a car that only exists as half a car because they wanted to film interiors. Yeah, exactly. What was the one that you were telling me? Was it was it Bond where there's half a DB5? Well, it was, um, yeah, that happened in Bond. It also happened with the Saint, with the Volvo and because various other shows. But they didn't do that on Ashes and they didn't do that on Life on Mars. Um, was that because, Mike... The technology of the 60s, presumably the lighting rig and the camera were massive, and so there, there wasn't any facility to to get in with a smaller camera and, and, and film inside the car. You had to cut the damn car in half just so you could you could get those shots. Um, pretty much. I mean, it comes down to budget as well. I mean, the, fa- the famous one was Z Cars, you know, where Ford were happy to supply half a Zodiac. Yeah, because this was a this was a, a British TV show, black and white British TV show, set around Manchester, wasn't it? Meant to be. Was it Merseyside? I think it was. I a think fi- it was like a division of Everton, wasn't it? I think know. it was a fictional town, a new, wasn't it? A new town, one of the new towns like Skelmersdale or, or yeah, Runcorn or something it was like that. More towards Liverpool than Manchester. Yeah, and. Uh, the Z cars were the Ford Zephyr and Zodiac. The, the cars were in the title of the show. And uh, my grandfather and my mother's father, who, who was a policeman, he hated those, those Ford Zephyrs and Zodiacs. He said they were absolute rubbish. He said when the, when the villains start, latched onto Jags, he said, we haven't got a prayer, prayer of catching them. So he, he had a Jag. He used his own Jag, and he, and he used a Riley, a supercharged... He used a supercharged open Riley to chase villains. Did he? How awesome is that? He was—he could have had his own 1960s uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> TV show. That's, by the way, I'm just looking at that red out. The Audi that RA Classic sold, it's not one of the cars from the show, but it is a wire edge red quattro. Oh, when he said uh, the car out of the show, what he might have meant, I, yeah, I, I, I wasn't classic. sure. Yeah, because you say that, don't you? Like, if you had yeah. an RS2000, you'd say the one out of the professionals, or yeah. I'm, I'm trying to think what my... My mate's just restoring that, by the way, at the moment. Which one? The the the, yeah, well. the Doyle car from the yeah. professionals. Yeah. If people aren't f- entirely familiar with British f- films and TV shows of the sixties, seventies, and eighties, then this must seem bewildering. But there was a TV show called The Professionals, oh, brilliant, which starred Lewis Collins, yeah. uh, and he drove 
Lewis well, Collins and Lewis Collins and Martin Shaw, and they drove a variety of performance forwards because well, BL cars first. Oh, they had BL cars. Yeah, it was a Dolomite Sprint and a TR8. TR7 for Martin Shaw. <sighs> so Bodie and Doyle. TR, uh, the, the, TR7's the a woman's car. Joanna Lumley drove one in Sapphire and Steel. No, New Avengers. Uh, New Avengers. New Avengers. That she was it. She started with an MGB. And then she changed to the TR7. And the TR7s did the rounds through all the ITC series. So they, so they appeared in Return of the Saint as different people's cars and, uh, you know, different shows. But Bo- Bodie and Doyle started with a... Do- Actually, when they first started, they had a J-Reg, like a then seven or eight-year-old, Rover P6 2000. Really? Tobacco Brown, yeah. What rubbish choice. I was just watching an old episode a couple of nights ago, like you sometimes do when you're yeah. a middle-aged man of a certain inclination. Mm. You know, it's like if my missus wants to look at my browsing history, fine, because it's just like um, the gold cup from Alton Park, uh, Barry Sheen versus Kenny Roberts, uh, you know, yeah. <laughs> Suzuka, and loads and loads of 60s and 70s and 80s TV shows, of his, particularly, at the moment, particularly European-made films with, you know, stars like Alan Delon and Jean-Paul Belmondo and people oh, yeah, like that. Oh, great car chases with, with Remy Julian. Remy Julian, right. yeah, the genius of Remy Julian. Because people talk about Bill Hickman. Yeah, Bill Hickman, great, bullet, the seven-ups, car chases like that. But the Don, the OG, is Remy Julian and his dynasty. Because I think they're on the third generation of stunt drivers now. Yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. We, well, we did loads of him with that book on the Italian job last year. You know, Matt's known him for y'all. So the professionals started out in a Rover P6. Yeah, that, that's they had a Rover P6. Uh, Cowley had a princess. He was their boss. So yeah. he, had a, he, had, he had an Austin princess, did he? Yeah. I'm sure uh, he, that he then switched to a Ford Granada. Please tell me, I got, I got it wrong with the Granada on Life on Mars. Go on. Do you remember in the new Avengers as well as Big Cat? Um, well, hold on. Right, we should say that it, the, most people know about the Avengers. Uh, Steed, Emma Peel, uh, Patrick McNee, Hunter Blackman, oh, Diana okay. Rigg. It's, yeah, a, a succession of fabulous, glamorous fe- female assistants, although his first assistant was male. Ian Hendry. Yeah, that's right. Right, that's do you know what? Deal. I thought I'd get that in there before you, Mike, well, because... Any... <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Ian Hendry drives the same car that was Carolee's car um, and was also Steed's car. He drives it in an episode of Return of the Saint, and it's a turmeric yellow Rover SD1 3500, one of the first ones. M-O-R-O-M-O-O-2... Two nine P, and it's Steed. It's one of Steed's fleet because he has Big Cat, the Range Rover, the old Bentley in the garage, and this Rover SD One. Well, Big Cat was Big Cat a broad speed. Yeah, XJC, no, it was, it was a 1973 prototype that was lavender. Um, lavender. <laughs> <laughs> lavender, really? Yeah, lavender, <laughs> lavender, that sort of purpley colour. Yeah, I know, I know what it is, mate. It's, it's, normally, it's normally sort of like um, cough sweets for old ladies, or it's the colour yeah. of soap. It's not the colour of a car, especially yeah, a car, no, a car like that. Yeah, you could get on BL, BL Jags and Daimlers. So it was a prototype, <clears throat> and then when they came to do the show three years later, instead of scrapping it, uh, they repainted it and cosmetically made it look like a broad speed. Ah, so it's not a broad speed. Wow. No. 
I knew I knew I should get you on because you I've gone through life with all of these all of these facts, so called facts, like oh yeah, that was a that was a broad speed in, in New Avengers. No, it looked like a broad well, it speed. It looked like a broad speed and the engine noise was dubbed on. Um, it was actually a bit of a mess to drive, you know. So in the New Avengers, right, you've spent the last 35 minutes putting me right. Let's continue along that theme because I think it's amusing and entertaining well, for well, people. Well, let me tell you, I'll, I'll do Big Cat and I'll come back to the professionals. Right, Big Cat, um, NWK60P. Oh, my, please. Right. <laughs> it, it went to London, that car. I think you might need professional help, mate, but it is very entertaining. Yeah. I, I, I find it massively interesting, so do proceed. It probably means I'm as sad as you, but never mind. <laughs> Go on. What's the point of forgetting it? <laughs> Yeah, but mate, remembering the registration numbers is that's pretty. It's all right. I like it. I oh, think it's great. I think it's great, but I, I just think we might we might be a bit. We might need help. So listen, right? So that car went to London and had a. Because you're talking about filming, it had a BMW electric roof fitted because Jaguar wouldn't offer it as an option. Right. And it went to a place in London called, um, like, London Sunroof Centre. And the XJS, my XJS, the manual from Eternal Attaint, went to the same place for the same thing. Yeah. So they put two BMW sunroofs in them. Um, now, that car, I discovered that car in 1991, big car, absolutely knackered, in Hollindrake Jaguar in Stockport in their compound... And it was there because the guy couldn't pay a bill on it. And the mechanics were trying to buy it to Bangarace it. Oh, no! Yeah, I know. And, High and, edge it would have gone to. I've raced yeah, there. Buxton. That's where I started. High edge. Yeah, so I shouldn't... I shouldn't... I shouldn't complain too much. I've, I've, I've ended the lives of the cars deserved for their lives to be ended. They'd, they'd served us well, but it was their time to go. But not, when I was 10. not that car, not big yeah, car. No, not that car. And, I, and, and at the time, they were offering like three hundred quid. I was offering a grand, and the bloke won't sell it, and they won't let him have it back. Anyway, ultimately, he had it, and um, he won't sell it. It was a guy in Cheadle, and he kept that car all the way through to like four years ago, right? So the car's now bought for 60-odd grand. Wow. It's now having the restoration of a lifetime. But But it's not a real broad speed. Yeah, but guess what's going in it? A 7.3 Jaguar Lister V12. Wow. (laughs) It's not not Lawrence Whitaker that's got the car, is it? It's not who? Lawrence Whitaker from uh, from from Lister. No. Right. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I realise there'd be certain points in this conversation with you, you where you clam on and move on to another subject. So let's do that. And which is the new Avengers. So yeah. Steed was in Big Cat, which was the not a broad speed Jag as we've just yeah. uh, we've just Plus established. Plus the Rover. Plus the Rover. Right. Yeah. Um, Plus the Bentley that you never see apart from when they pretend they blow it up. Ah, so the the, ben- the first of the Range Rover press car. The Bentley from the original Avengers series, yeah. the sort of, was it, would it have been a, a WR Bentley? Would it have oh, been a 20s well, Bentley? It, 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 in itself, the Steed Bentley was about four different cars. Yeah. And, and then it, hold on. veteran cars, hold like on. Rolls Royces and things. And were any of them actually Bentleys? Yeah. Oh, right. Because sometimes you, you say, oh, none of them were Bentleys. They were just, you know, they just, they couldn't afford an actual WA oh, no, Bentley. Oh, they just... cars because they weren't worth anything, then. Yeah, it's funny, isn't it? By they're... the fat lady, you know. Yeah, they, they, they weren't worth anything. So, Mike, 
Gambit. Yeah. Which was two red he, he was the tough guy because yeah. they wisely realised they should have done this with with Roger Moore when he was Bond. They wisely realised that Patrick McNee was far too old and creaky mm. to be sort of you know karate chopping villains yeah. anymore. Yeah, and so they got Gareth Hunt. <laughs> I've just remembered his name. And, and every time I think of him, as most British people do, I do a hand gesture. <laughs> because for many years he advertised coffee and he made a hand gesture, which in, in any sort of road rage incident, people often employ out of the window yeah. to indicate that the other drivers' uh, driving standards may not be up to scratch. But... <laughs> and who was cast as the first Doyle? Was he? Hmm? Uh, Ga- Ga- Gareth Hunt was going to be yeah. the first Doyle in the professionals. He's going to be, yeah. Well, let's go back to the new Avengers. That's okay. fascinating. Let's go back. He's got a similar look to Martin. And Martin Shaw was really good in, in that, though. Yeah, yeah. But let's go back to the I... new Avengers. I can't remember what Joanna Lumley's character was called or Purdy. what car she dropped. Purdy, I think I think she drove a TR7. Yeah, she, she yes. did at the end. She started with an MGB. Right. <laughs> she an MGB Roadster. What colour was it? Uh, like that sort of harvesty goldy colour. Yeah, a lot were. Yeah, and With then the yellow TR7. A yellow TR... Yeah, and Purdy, here's the thing. Couldn't remember the name of not only a popular character, but also a popular... Probably the most popular haircut for girls in that period. Yeah, because she, she, she didn't get the part with that haircut, you know. She had long hair. And she turned up, and Brian Clements had kittens... You know, the producer, he just went, oh, my God, what have you done? We, we can't film. And she turned around and said, this is going to be the most sought-after haircut in, in Europe. And it was. Just had it cut by Vidal. Yeah, but here's the thing. Her character was meant to be a karate-chopping action yeah. girl yeah. Who, would, who would arrive and, and, and there'd be three burly blokes, mm. one of whom was always um, Pat Roach, the guy. <laughs> what he was... Well, yeah, because he was a, he was a professional wrestler as well. You'd sometimes yeah. you'd, you'd sometimes see Pat Bomberoch. He's the guy who has the fist fight with Ryan O'Neill in Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon. Yeah. And in real life, Pat Pat Roach would have torn Ryan O'Neill's head off yeah. with one hand while drinking a pint with the other. Had but a of pint course, Connery as well, doesn't he? Oh, go on. Where does when did never, Pat Roach never say never again? Never said. I I I don't recognise that as a actual Bond film. Sorry. It is an official bomb film. Uh, it, is. it is. It is. How can people watch Sean? Sean. How can they watch him in the original Bond movies and then sully their imagination and their eyes with that nonsense that he was unwise? Mind he was still younger. He's younger than Roger. Yeah, but yeah, but Roger was six. Roger Moore was sixty-four, wasn't he, when he last appeared as no, Bond? Fifty-seven. Are you sure? Yeah, absolutely. Fifty-seven is still too old to be James yeah, Bond, isn't it? He knew that, but but I mean, he liked getting the money. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. We had um, what, what's we had James, like I say, we had James Walsh on, and we were talking about the um, Roger. He said he met Roger Moore, and James, big Citroen fan, said that as am I. Although I'm not as keen on the De Chevaux as James is. I like the big. I like DSs and CXs and yeah, SMs. Yeah. I like the big, flashy, weird spaceship Citroens, not the the little... Um, the SM especially. Little pe- oh, yeah, little people's car. Right, the SMs, are, I'll give you a trivia question. The SMs, a great car quiz uh, question, because it's what connects 
Johan Cruyff the footballer, Mike Hellwood the motorcycle racer, and Idi Amin um, the U- Ugandan dictator and last, and last king of Scotland, as he as, as he declared himself. Yeah, they all own Citroen and, SMs. And Patrick McGowan well. Yeah, Patrick McGowan. Was it his and idea? Was it Patrick's idea to? Because Patrick was Patrick was the guy really who. I think, and I'd love to know what you think, Mike. Patrick McGowan, the actor, was the first actor to want to have an active part and to get an active part in the creation of the, of the TV series that he was in, in the writing. In the, I think he directed a couple of episodes of The Prisoner. Okay, nobody did, had really done that. Time. Yeah, nobody had really done that before him um, because um, they weren't allowed to or they didn't have his, his think, many talents. I think it had happened in Hollywood but certainly not so much as in England. Um, I know that with the... Um, I mean, he was a real driven man, wasn't he? <laughs> Very much so. You know, I mean, I mean, we, we need to do another show just on The Prisoner, because it's just amazing. Well, I've tried not to talk about The Prisoner, because I... I, um, I... Did a job for somebody, and this sounds really touchy, it's not. I did a job, I did a very quick presenting job. The guy said, I need you to walk out of the Hilton Hotel in Manchester. Mm. You, you need to be part of a film that's got loads of people in it. You need to walk out, get in this Bentley and drive off and say say something like, and oh, we've got some really smart hotels. That's all I had to do. And he said, but I can't pay you, but you can keep the Bentley for the weekend. I said, great, I'll do it. So I went to... <laughs> I had to walk out, get in the car, drive... So... I thought, right, let's go to Port Merion. Oh, so we went down to Port Merion, and I called to see what was available. And uh, they said, oh, the only the only property that's available for rent, because, of course, it's now available to, as a hotel, holiday resort, whatever you want to call it. They said it's number four, number four, the gatehouse. And I was like, oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> it's like the gatehouse, which was the door that you'd see Patrick McGowan coming out of when he was allegedly exiting his apartment to the prisoner. No, Although, of course, no. the, the apartment... Right, go on, tell me, put me right. No, the gatehouse is in a different place. He the, comes the, out of the get that. He where, comes where out. The apartment is. He turns left and he comes down those steps. That's where I was. Yeah, but that's not where his apartment is. His little apartment, as you, as you go through the main, you know, archway, you come to the little square, um, and it and it's a little shop where what that, that his apartment was. So in reality, it's a very small space. Well, I told my, well, I told my ex-wife that we were staying in the in the. <laughs> The and, and, and yeah, the but used to stay in, um, you know, when you walk down past the hotel towards the lighthouse. Yeah, that's where that's where um, McGowan stayed in the white building there, it's on the other side of the uh, lighthouse. Yeah, so we stayed there when they were actually filming it. Yeah, isn't it interesting, Mike, that if you if you go on to the actual set of Coronation Street, which is the longest running soap yeah. opera. Any, anywhere in the world the buildings are three quarter size because they look yeah. better when you're filming because of like you know perspective and and sort yeah. of something that an architect would be able to the, the way that when they when they photograph a building they have to be able to adjust the plane of the of mm. the camera so that it can you know it can uh, it can adjust for the fact that parts of it will appear to be further away than they actually yeah. are so they build a set when they build a building, it's three quarter size, and the whole of Port Mirian, William Clough Ellis built it three quarter size, didn't yeah. he? But he didn't yeah. do it. He didn't do it for filming. He just did it because he was he Thought was busy. 
He thought it was funny and had a lot of building to do. Yeah, well, it's a lot of fake, um, fake windows and things like that are painted on. But that's it. It's all... It, there's a lot of fake... When you say fake, there's a lot of make-believe. And with all of these cars that we've been talking about, it can either be the case that the car is completely legitimate and exactly as you'd imagine it, like the Volvo in the same. They were street-legal cars taken off the production line with zero... I'm going to say zero modifications... Yeah? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, and yet there are other cars that you've seen in uh, TV shows and films. Not only have they not got the engine that you think they have, they haven't got an engine. The car's being pushed by four yeah. blokes. Who are <laughs> you're just seeing somebody turn. I was going to ask you a question. Who's the who's the most active steering wheel twiddler, do you think, in the, in the <laughs> films and TV? Because I think Cary Grant used to saw at the wheel yeah. like he... <laughs> Like he was going round yeah, a, a going round a twisty sprint. <laughs> I've been quite surprised actually with even some recent stuff where people are, you know, steering wheel, um, you know, steerers. I think when they're on when they're on the trailer, when they're obviously on the trailer and they're, and they're supposed to be driving, yeah. when the director shouts action, there's something in the mind of every actor that thinks that they should move the steering wheel in their hands. Yeah. Whereas. When they, you know, if you actually mentioned it to them, if if somebody said it, if somebody said, "That's not how you drive," it's like, "What are you? Are you mad? You're gonna be on the, you'd be on the pavement. You'd be, you'd be killed. There'd be fatalities if you sawed away. Yeah. If you drove down the street, sawing away at the I wheel mean, like that." And that was like something you were told. Oh, I was told as a little kid. That was one of the first things I was told. You know, you don't do your hands like that on the steering wheel. You know, because, like, kids would watch on telly and then pretend they were driving and moving their hands left and right, wouldn't they, you know? So how did you end up with the with the XJS and the Return of the Saint? Because oh, cause that, that's kind of my era, the, the mm. Saint. And, and we didn't see... I didn't really see the Saint until they started rerunning it on Sunday mornings on Granada Television. About the Roger Saint. The Roger Moore Saint. Yeah, I know. But, well, I mean, obviously, to me, the Saint was Ian. Yeah, but... Uh, exactly, because I'm, go- I'm going to explain that if you were the age I was when The Return of the Saint mm. appeared on TV with Ian Ogilvy, who's in one of my favourite films of all time, Waterloo, he plays an adjutant oh, yeah. to, uh, to the Duke of Wellington. And uh, he's horribly killed. Plot spoiler. But there you go. Heroically killed on the field of battle. Yeah. Uh, one of the greatest films ever made, that Waterloo. Christopher... He's going to be in a new film, by the way. Is he? Yeah, right, so so we've established that Ian Ogilvy is kind of a, a British TV actor. He's best known to most British people for The Return of the Saints, in which in, they did what they should have done with the Saints. They went to Jaguar and said, how about a car for the star of our TV show? And they got a white Jaguar XJS, and it looked fantastic. Yeah. So, well, they, so, so they actually had three. <laughs> right, and, and what happened was was one sawn in half. No, no, no. no. They um, they had the proper one, the, the 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 main car. If you go to Jaguar Heritage and all that, they'll just tell you there's one car. Yeah, of course they will. Right, <laughs> and, and and that's the manual, and that was a 1975 car. That's uh, a really early XJS. Yeah, isn't it? It, yeah, yeah. It was it's a production car that they took off the production line, and then Norman, the famous Norman Jewis, his department, his development department, they used it to, to test different things on. Um, and it was painted in Old English white, 
than what they did when uh, the TV company came along in 77 instead of scrapping it, you know, because they, they would scrap any sort of um, prototypes or development cars. Like with the um, the prototype that became the big cat, they decided to use that one for the show and the show wanted the sunroof. So off it went to London uh, for that. And they started filming with it in 1977. Um, then they also sent along a backup automatic car, which was also white with cinnamon inside, but there's a few little differences. And then when they went to Italy, they just hired a car from um, from a dealer. Hold on, hold on. Wouldn't it have been a left-hand drive car? Would no. people? Oh, so so they they incorporated it into the story. The saint's gone on holiday, but he's hired a car that's oh, lo- yeah. like yeah. his car. No, 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 no. He didn't hire it. He, he didn't hire it as the character. What I'm saying is, the production hired another one in. Did they just think that you wouldn't notice that it was left-hand drive? No, no, no. It's a right-hand drive car. They hired it from a UK dealership. Oh, I thought you meant that they went out there because I, I was no. going to. I was going to say there are some outrageous examples littered throughout the history of film and television where they're like, "Oh, people won't notice." Yeah. You know, like well, <laughs> there is a bit of people won't notice because it had a black interior. <laughs> right. So, so, so the main, you know, they, they, the way they film those shows, um, they actually started in the south of France and worked the way along the coastline. And then came to England and then went to Italy. That's how they did it. So they weren't filming in order that you see it. Oh, yeah. That's the other thing that that people don't realise, that when they make a movie, they often film the middle first and then they film the end. (laughs) Yeah, and and Ian tells a story where... Do you remember the actress called Elaine Stritch? The American actress... I I, I remember that she lived in the Ritz Hotel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I don't know why I remember that. She she was in a programme with Donald... Called Two's Company. Oh, God. The <laughs> I mean, people talk about they go, oh, yeah, the golden age of British television, and you actually remember there's some absolute yeah. garbage. So oh. she got in a lift with Ian, right? Yeah. He's a good looking man. Still a good looking man. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. So, so she got in a lift with Ian and said to Ian, oh, do you know, I didn't care for your version of The Saint very much when I first saw it. Yeah. But, but, um, you know, now we're like four or five weeks in, I think you're getting into it. And Ian said, Madam, can I just point out, we film them in totally a different order. What's happened is you've got used to seeing me instead of Roger. <laughs> yeah, Good on so. him. <laughs> but, well, just going back to the car, um, he, and, and one thing you were saying about the uh, people throwing at the wheel, Ian... The lads for the professionals and Starsky and Hutch in the States. <laughs> they. Where are you going with this, Mike? Go on. Well, I was going to tell you what happened was instead of um, filming them on the back of a trailer, what they did was they got the boys to do their own uh, filming. So what would happen is they'd be in the car and they'd just send them off in the car, you know, and one of them would press the button to start filming, do the clapperboard, everything. And uh, Ian did the same in the in the XJR, you know, and so he just disappeared for ten minutes in the car. Well, I met I I've met David Soul twice. Yeah, Hutch, and and yeah. he he didn't like the fact that his well, he, it's not he didn't like it. He's an actor and he was he was playing a part, but he found it ironic that. Um, he is in real life a car enthusiast. He had a DB7 
when I met an Aston Martin. He lives here now. He's lived here a long yeah, time, no, hasn't he? Yeah, he lives in Bristol. Yeah, and he, he had an Aston Martin. Um, but in, in Starsky Nutch, his character was the one who didn't care about cars and had, yeah. and had I think it was a Ford LTD, just a beaten, was, yeah. beaten up Ford LTD. Whereas Starsky, and he's, is he called Paul Michael Glazer? The, yeah. The character? Yeah. He had a really cool car in the programme, but in real life, he had no interest in cars whatsoever. The, so it was, was like, there was all a difference between the two about junk food in the show Starsky's like eating junk food and Hutch is healthy and in real life it was the opposite way around now, I often say to guests, I must have you back, and, and I mean it, but uh, we're definitely going to get Mike back. There is so much more to talk to him about. What a, what a knowledgeable guy. Uh, join us next Wednesday. We're here Wednesday evenings here on Fab Radio International, and don't forget the Steve Speed Shop podcast. <laughs>